everyone. This is Vahid, co-host of the Pulse podcast. On this episode, I'm excited to be joined by Chris Severn from Turquoise. Chris is the CEO and co-founder of Turquoise Health, a company working to bring real price transparency to healthcare. With recent and upcoming waves in pricing legislation, combined with his fundraise from A16Z earlier this year, Turquoise is tackling the transparency problem from several angles by creating new tools for patients, payers, and providers, which we're going to discuss later in this episode. Chris, so glad to have you here today. Uh, really excited to get into this conversation. Per tradition, as you know, we ask all our guests uh, the same icebreaker, and that's what did you want to be when you grow up? Good question. Besides the obvious, like when I was in middle school, high school, a pro baseball player, golfer, zooming back when I was even younger, I, I'm sure I wanted to be a late night show host. I used to watch David Letterman. I have old tapes from like 10 years old in front of my wall in my room, writing my own late night jokes as a 10 year old, which are probably the worst jokes in the world. But yeah, I, I think I grew out of that sometime in, by college or something. <laughs> Do you have any of those jokes saved? I would love to hear one. If, uh, no, no, but I, I do remember back then that if David Letterman told a good joke, I would basically say the same joke, but like change some words in it. And I didn't realize back then, no, that's that's just taking someone's joke. So I bet a lot of them are just things David Letterman said that I slightly adapted. I love that. Just basically making it more kid-friendly. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> awesome. Well... Again, thanks for coming on to the show. Just to kind of get everyone on the same page, you're leading Turquoise and obviously on a mission to improve price transparency across the healthcare industry. I'd be curious just before we get into all that and what the company's doing, if you could share a little bit about your background and what really got you interested in the problem that Turquoise is trying to solve today. My background is in hospital revenue cycle. When I graduated college, I looked to get into consulting. And just by happenstance, I fell into this niche part of consulting specifically focused on the hospital revenue cycle in San Francisco. And so for most of my 20s, I just became an expert in how hospitals get paid by insurance companies. And I was privy to these you know, secret negotiated rates between pairs and providers. And as I left you know, that consulting company and had an inkling that I wanted to start something on my own, I synced up with Adam Getty, who's the co-founder of Turquoise, He's a machine learning software guru, helped build Groupon and combining my RevCycle subject matter expertise with his software expertise, and then combining the timing of all this hospital price transparency legislation, it felt like the path was illuminated for Turquoise to work solely on price transparency. And I definitely want to talk more about the price transparency point from a legislative point of view. But before we get there, can you just tell me a little bit about how you're thinking about pricing. So, you know, we talk about price a lot in healthcare. When you're thinking about price transparency, what are some of the dimensions that are coming to mind? Because obviously the charge master is one element of it, but I imagine there's other things that you're thinking about. Yeah. So for anybody listening to this, it's not a, you know, spending every day in the gritty side of hospital revenue cycle. There's two places that price transparency really, really impacts. It's the consumer purchase process. Me as a patient, what will I owe? And then there's the actual transaction between the payer and provider, which is almost always a higher dollar transaction. In the legislation that has come live this year requires hospitals to publish not just 
the cash price and list price of services, you know, for uninsured patients or folks going around their insurance, but also the negotiated rate that an insurance company would owe the hospital for a given item or service. And so at Turquoise, that negotiated rate is what we're most keenly focused on. And it's inherently at that level of a B2B transaction between the payer and provider. Got it. So really looking at not just the overall price, but really what's actually happening and then trying to bring some more transparency to that level. Exactly. And everybody who's hopefully, you know, not often dealt with the hospital bill, you see a couple different tiers. You see what the hospital billed, what your insurance company allowed, and then ultimately what you owed. And so all of that data is coming online through this new legislation. And I have a hunch as to where this answer is, but you know, legislation passes, everyone has to be transparent with their prices. How's that been going? Have you seen <laughs> hospitals just jumping on board, giving you all their numbers or what's going on? So going back a little bit last year, this law originated as an executive order under the Trump administration in late 2019. And all throughout 2020, Adam and I didn't know whether to fully press the gas on turquoise because this law was held up in the courts, the district court, the court of appeals. And it wasn't until really right after Christmas or right around Christmas that this hospital price transparency law was upheld in the court of appeals. And everybody actually realized this was going to happen. And I think a bunch of health systems had been waiting to see if that law was going to go through before they acted. And so we've seen a steady uptick in price transparency compliance that Turquoise has registered in our database from January 1st, which you know some hospitals, New Year's Eve, they posted all this data. And then throughout the spring and summer, we saw some more health systems come online. And then the government proposed an increase in the fines for non-compliant hospitals in late summer. And right when that was announced, we saw a big uptick of health systems that finally came around more because they wanted to avoid the fines. And so it's been slow going, but anybody that's more of a layperson listening to this, the biggest news for you is that 5,500 somewhat hospitals with commercial negotiated rates in the United States, and about two thirds of those have these rates online. And so when you think of the economics of supply and demand in a healthy functioning market with all of this data out there, it's, it's a, now the majority of hospitals in the US that have this data. And you were bringing up these timelines earlier, right? With you know, this happened earlier in the year, some hospitals come on board, there's a proposal to increase fees. So more hospitals come on board. What's interesting to me though, behind all this is when you guys went live, right? So it seems like the moment that this really became a thing, I, I see the news, A16Z is investing in you. So what was happening in the background when you were hearing about these laws and then you were ready to jump on it? Pure chaos. Uh, no, so this was all Adam and I talking last year. We knew we wanted to work on price transparency, and it was a fun thought exercise, very similar probably to a way a case study feels in, in business school, where we thought, okay, all this is coming, and if this and what? If all of this data is out there, you know, the first thing we realize is it's, it's going to be very hard to aggregate. There's no prescribed format that each of these hospitals has to follow to publish their data. And the second is, who are the competitors out there? They don't know we exist yet, but who's out there that would be interested in this data and would make some play towards price transparency 
in our answer was generally a lot of large, like stalwart hospital revenue cycle vendors who already have their horse in the race. So for years, they've already worked with XYZ Health System. And so when this data comes online, they will go direct to their existing customers and say, we will build you a price transparency solution for you to put on your website and we'll be your chosen vendor for that. We thought there was this opportunity to put all this data out in public in a comparison website for all to see, because we just figured patients and the press and the industry would be interested in this data and that the existing folks in our, our space couldn't do it because they would alienate their existing customer base. The last thing you would ever do is put one of your customers' data alongside their competitors live on your website. And so that created this nice little opening for a Wiley startup that was paying attention to this. And we really rushed the punch. We, we were ready on New Year's Eve with this data. We published it, I think, January 17th with 1,200 hospitals. So the first 17 days of January were, were wild. And then quickly soon after, it became a big talking piece. So we heard from the Wall Street Journal and they've used our data several times, including today for some reporting pieces. And this, this press flywheel started happening for Turquoise that played well into our position as a tiny company that wasn't afraid of stepping on a few toes. And we, we just knew that other companies couldn't make that play. So it really worked out for us. And we leaned into it. We, we didn't have any customers yet uh, in January, maybe one or two. And we just let the press sort of spread the news on Turquoise and that led to you know, the investment conversations and whatnot. That's awesome. And you know, kind of why I want to go from here to dive into the company a little bit more, understand kind of the team's been growing, some of your products. And I think going back to January then makes sense. So can you like paint a picture of what the team looked like at that point? So first couple of weeks in January, you're collecting this data, you're ready to publish. Who are you working with? The team was Adam and I and a few contractors. We had pivoted from this consulting company that Adam and I were running, and we really committed to price transparency. We had raised a small pre-seed round to get us ready in you know, Q4 of 2020. And so Adam and I really set off using some contractors to help us build out the original site. Of course, Adam's engineering guru, the guy does the coding of 10 engineers. He's just a really a prolific programmer. And um, as... January and February came up, we started getting real customers and folks saying, hey, like <laughs> the funniest thing we got earlier, early in the year is like, hey, send us some of your sales collateral or hey, send us your contract and we'll get this signed. And there were a bunch of moments when it was just Adam and I like, holy smokes, we don't have collateral. We don't have a contract. What do we say? And so very quickly, we started needing to um, work with real lawyers and work with, you know, we hired Marcus, our third employee. He's the head of ops. And it was really stitching things together in the moment. It was, it was pretty wild. And you know, since then, how has the team grown? What are some of the functions you've been hiring into? Really, how you've been thinking about growing this organization from the chaos of January into what we're seeing now in late 2021? So what happened is very quickly, because the data that we were aggregating became a pretty hot commodity to industry, we very quickly had to grow up a bit and, like I said, use real lawyers, hire teammates to carry sales through and focus a lot on customer support and data QA. And so I don't know the employee count of you know early spring, but we shot up pretty quick. 
in terms of how we supported enterprise engagements with payers and providers. Some of those sales cycles moved pretty quickly because folks were interested in the data. It was new. They wanted to see what was in it. And so in spring, we did a lot of things that I think most early stage startups wouldn't do once they had traction or a year or two in, in terms of like working with real lawyers and advisors and starting to look for investment money. Um, And now I think we have 19 full-time employees. We have just over 40 customers and we just celebrated our first birthday a week or two ago. And so things, things did move quickly beyond that like cute early stage startup phase where you can tell a customer that like, hey, sorry, I didn't reply because we only have three employees, et cetera. Things quickly progressed to being, you know, what I'll call, we always call a real company just because our customers are real customers. That's awesome. The growth definitely seems a little bit stressful to kind of get from where you were then to like where you are now, but definitely sounds like you've made huge progress there. The team, to your point, is now a company, not just a startup, but like a functional sort of. company with <laughs> you know, employees. Yeah. And that's really awesome to hear. So I want to kind of jump right into it now and really learn a little bit more about you know, what Torquoise is doing, what are some of the products you have. I was you know, looking at the website and it's interesting that despite being a fairly young company, there's multiple products targeting patients, providers, payers, even yeah. law firms and consultants. So can you just give me a brief overview of what Turquoise is offering and to whom? It's a really ambitious offering when you look at our website. Probably a lot of your MBA classes say focus as an early stage startup, serve one customer segment. And for most scenarios, I'd say yes, exactly. Follow that. With Turquoise, the first pillar of our product strategy is is market data. We could have said, hey, we're only going to sell to providers and really segmented out which type of provider we're going to. We could have said, we're only going to sell this data to payers. The truth was the same product is pretty useful to several different segments. And we're dealing with all inbound right now. We're not really doing any outbound sales. So we could scalably get this product out to a few verticals. And that's why our site has a bunch of different, hey, for, you know, for payers, for providers, for rev cycles, because pretty soon, early in the year, we heard from a bunch of different types of entities. So starting at that data pillar, we move towards the next part that I'm really excited about is you've got this static market data. In healthcare, the data is really sleepy. Pricing data doesn't change very often. If you scrutinize some of this data that's newly available, you see crazy market opportunities. You see, you know, on one side of Dallas, Blue Cross is paying Health System A $10,000 for a knee meniscus repair. On the other side of Dallas, they're paying $20,000. And quality held constant often. And so you see these wild variations. And as a payer or as a provider in that market, you see business opportunities. Um, You see places to save money. You see places to add value. If you're starting a chain of surgery centers, you might may say, wow, this is a market ripe for me to go in with my surgery centers because the prices are artificially high because of this health system. And so what we're excited about at Turquoise moving past the data pillar is this rate negotiation platform. The analogy I give is like right now, we feel like eBay where you could browse prices, but you can't submit a bid or participate in the market. It's just a static view of the prices. And at Turquoise, we're getting into negotiating the price of healthcare more on the fly, more market responsive. And you know, 
a lot of the focus on price transparency is how does this work for patients? Where at Turquoise, a lot of the start being focused on B2B, we're really leaning on some economic hypotheses that the price of healthcare is inflated or that the value proposition is artificial. And so we're, we're leaning on economics to do the work for patients when we get this data in front of payers and providers. So pillar number two is rate negotiation. We're launching our clear contracts negotiation platform in November. I'm super excited about it. And that's where we become like, you can actually submit your bid and participate in the market. And when I say you, this is not necessarily like an individual patient. This would be a payer or self-insured employer in the first go around. Definitely a lot going on there. And yeah. uh, it's exciting to see you putting out all these different products. And another thing I noticed on the website was kind of to your point, this patient-facing you know, interface where you can just search for you know, different procedures and just get a sense for how much this might cost. Um, can you speak a little bit about that? Because that also seems like it could be really empowering for people who just want to get a sense of you know, what their procedure is. I know it's their subscriptions. And then also, you know, how might this compare if I go to hospital I ever speak? When you look at hospital rates, especially as a patient, there are 12 asterisks attached to the rate. And so the calculus that goes into calculating even a simple you know, knee meniscus repair, like I said, there's a lot that goes into that. It could be based on how long you were in the OR. It could be based on the type of anesthesia. It could be based on um, really the surgeon and the surgery protocol that they used. It could wildly drive the cost of your hospital visit. And so with all those asterisks, we still think it's useful to put the data out there to patients because right now this data serves as like a weather vane of there's too much calculus going on in the back end for a patient to confidently say, if I look on turquoise, I put in my insurance plan, and I see that Blue Cross will pay Sutter Health $11,000 for this knee meniscus repair, that my cost share will be exactly $2,000.12. And we want to get to the point where there's absolute rate certainty, and that's why we're working upstream with payers and providers to create more rate certainty here. But right now, the consumer play is only half-baked because a lot of these hospital services don't have a clean rate. And so we can't have a patient on our site right now, adding to cart, checking out without doing some work upstream with the payer and provider. And so our play there was, hey, let's just put this data out there as a research tool for the press, for consumers. And if you look at Turquoise, you're considering getting surgical care or you know, your family is, the best thing you can do right now is get a sense of, hey, if I've got three hospital options in my surrounds, relatively, who's the most affordable with Aetna? Who's the most affordable with Blue Cross? If you are purchasing insurance on the individual exchange or choosing during open enrollment, you can compare more than just premium and say like, hey, if I like to go to this hospital, what's the most compelling insurer at this hospital based off their negotiated rates. So that's that's what we're telling patients to do with this right now until it's ready for add to cart. It's really interesting. So in the long run, the hope is that this really can facilitate that you know, marketplace type environment where you look, you shop around, like the million other platforms that exist on the internet and yeah. you pick something. But in the short term, it seems like it's a little bit more experimental. Let's see how people are using this. Let's hope at the very least that they can have a, let's say, basic level of information that helps them pick more cost-effective care. 
Exactly. And this price transparency law is not only putting pricing pressure, like basic supply and demand pressure on price, it's also putting pressure on the simplicity of the patient financial experience. And so the future of hospital reimbursement really rewards the savvy providers that can get their act together and say, all right, I'm moving on from the crazy calculus and I'm just leaning into this simple upfront pricing for patients. Just curious, you know, in some of this initial usage by patients, what has the team learned about how regular everyday people are interacting with the platform and some of the things that they're looking into trying to figure out in their experience? That's a great question. I know there are limits of what data we store on our website right now. It's really sensitive information. But what we're learning is that on our site, savvy consumers of healthcare are already interacting with this data. And the hypothesis that a hospital would create their own, what we're calling a storefront, but hospitals call it a patient estimate tool, in that you know, I, the patient, will go on my local hospital's website and use their half-baked estimate tool. That hypothesis is probably proving that it's useless. Like patients want to go to a place where this is all in one, one easy to use interface and they can compare options. And so our metrics for the thousands of folks that are on Turquoise every month, you know, we're assuming are better than some of these individual hospital patient estimate tools because, you know, we've gotten to the point where our hospital page on Turquoise, so XYZ Hospital by Turquoise Health is ranking above the hospital's own page when you look for it for a procedure in Google. Just one other question here, thinking about some of the things you're building on the patient side, and obviously some of the things you're building for providers and payers. So you're collecting all this data and you're building these, what sounds like really comprehensive platforms to allow um, different stakeholders to get access to data, drive insights, develop contracts even. One thing I noticed is that you also have a API available where you know, other parties can, it sounds like plug into this data and almost may build similar solutions. So I'm curious how you think about that. You know, on the one end, kind of building this interface, this platform for people to engage in, and on the other end, actually powering others to do something similar. Because so much of our go-to-market is focused on that B2B negotiation and the B2B contract negotiation, we don't want to be a barrier to the impact that this can have on patients. And so when folks come to us and say, hey, I'm building an app, that helps self-insured employers navigate their members to lower cost care. Or, hey, I'm building an app that helps primary care providers refer to cost-effective care at there in the office, time of service. At Turquoise, we're all for it. So hit our API, use this data, create that weather vane, and create that compass for referral patterns. Even if it's outside of Turquoise, we don't need, you know, our, our position on this is we don't need people actually going to Turquoise Health to get this price transparency data, they can already use interfaces that are highly trafficked or successfully providing patient care, you know, trusted advisors to patients. And they could just pipe the turquoise data in there. Got it. That's really interesting. And, you know, as you build out these platforms, the platforms themselves kind of serve as like a model of what should things look like. And then the data APIs available, people need to catch up to that. Or are you kind of equally investing in both of these as a means of distribution? I guess the analogy I'm thinking of is almost like in tech, Google and Android, right? Google has its own phones that it hopes will serve as the standard of what a good Android phone should look like. But then Android is also open source, you know, other people can use it. 
we would be foolish as a small startup coming really, you know, healthcare has a bunch of entrenched players and trusted companies and existing relationships. We'd be foolish if we tried to, to force everything onto the turquoise platform and turquoise products. I would assume that three or four years from now, there may be some places that average Americans are interacting with turquoise pricing data on the regular, maybe without even knowing that they're interacting with our data. And that's been more of our distribution plays. We know we're very small and we bring engineers to the table and we bring product and design to the table and subject matter expertise, but we don't have a huge sales team. We don't have the existing relationships. And so where can we partner with folks and get our products and data out into the ecosystem with some good long-term relationships versus really investing in forcing everybody to come to Turquoise. We love when our API just snaps into one module of someone's interface because there's too many folks working on great things in healthcare to think that you're going to be the one like Messiah company that fixes it all. So we're just trying to play nice. Makes sense. I'd love to dive into one or two of these products a little bit more. And one thing that I find to be really interesting is this idea of clear contracts and you know this platform for facilitating better negotiations. Can you maybe just provide a little bit more context as to what you're envisioning here and how you hope this will ultimately work out? Contract negotiations in healthcare, especially between hospitals and payers, take a very long time. They're very low tech. They involve a lot of resources. There's a ton of, you know, he said, she said over the data in saying, you know, you're using this sample benchmark data, we're using this, how do we reconcile it? It's a super inefficient process. And our theory is that that's just a big part of the admin spin in healthcare that everybody's trying to eliminate. And so the clear contract system is trying to do a few things. It's putting payers and providers on the same platform where they're looking at the same source of truth, the same benchmark data, their edits and feedback are shared with one another live versus you know over email and losing people on chains and taking years and years. The other piece beyond just bringing pairs and providers into one place is enabling this through some of the new data. And so we want the data to just snap in to these contract negotiations because it's you really can dig into this granular level of what does this payer pay for this code at this hospital in your benchmarking. The last piece that's really important to us, and this is where it comes back to the patient, is there are tons of constructs in healthcare contracting that are too complex to quote the price of care in advance. We have managed care agreements, which is you know my term for contracts that payers and providers broker that are based off percent of charge, which is very like fee for service to the extreme, based on per diem, you know how much time are you in the hospital, based on crazy constructs such as stop loss and multiple outpatient procedure discounting. And there's all this stuff that makes it impossible to know the cost of care in advance. And something we're trying to do on the clear contracts platform is put some guardrails up to say, hey, payers and providers, here's the algebra that controls the rules of the road on turquoise. And you have to play nice because if you do that using what we permit on the platform, this makes the cost share pre-adjudicable for patients. So it makes everybody happy. The patient knows what they would owe and they can compare options. And the no surprises advanced EOB that the patient saw, which is this new legal requirement for next year, that advanced EOB lines up with the actual EOB that they receive weeks later after the care. 
And so we're really just trying to abstract away some of the algebra from the patient and managed care experience on clear contracts. And so that's what I'm excited about. I'm moving away from these PDF contracts that were brokered in the 1990s and early 2000s, super low tech. That's what I'm used to from my background. And we're moving towards you know, a digital native contracting solution. Great. And uh, just really quickly for our listeners, EOB? Explanation of benefits. It's that thing you get when you've gone to a provider of the hospital and the insurer says, hey, Blue Cross member, here is what the provider charged. Here's what we reimbursed. And based off your deductible coinsurance copay, here's ultimately what you owe. And it, it takes usually a couple of weeks or months to get that explanation of benefits. And if you've looked at these things, they're super complex. It doesn't look like an explanation. Yeah, they tend to be massive. And then there's the normal insurance jargon. It just throws people off. Yeah. So that's a part of the process that we're hoping to move earlier towards the actual encounter and then really redesign the simplicity of what the patient sees. And so far, what's been some of the early reactions? I know it's still in the build phase, but just curious to hear how payers have been thinking about this, how they've been perceiving this, any provider groups, and how that might differ also across different size provider groups. I imagine the value proposition could be a little bit different depending on how big you are. Great question. The healthcare payments, it's all about incentives. And so misaligned incentives are why we find ourselves in this quagmire right now, why this law was necessary. What we're doing at Turquoise is really looking at the payer and provider market and following value propositions. And so on the provider side, a perfect customer for Turquoise is someone that falls in that intersection of quality and price. And there are a few other pillars that matter. So quality, price, accessibility, meaning is this close and can I schedule something tomorrow or next week? So providers that are already offering some compelling value their prices already are reasonable. Maybe these are hospitals that have CFOs that actually make cost-based decisions when they're pricing care and their quality is high. Those are the hospitals that we've started working with at Turquoise. And that's generally very well received. The hospitals that don't like what we're doing are the ones that have for years really built up the power of their managed care team. And they've consolidated by, you know, emerging health systems, but quality is not caught up. And so they've used consolidation to really drive up prices and market share and negotiating power. But when you really look at the independent hospital next to them or the health system down the road, their value proposition is not there. And those folks are not yet turquoise customers. They probably are caught a little flat-footed by all the price transparency data that's out there. And you know, those health systems will also adapt. We've seen some of the things that they're doing to make lemonade out of lemons in this market. On the payer side, the, the payers are generally inclined to get better rates, but also send their members to high quality care. And so the very same thing where it's like payers are just proxy buyers. We think of them as like mega patients. So acting on the behalf of the individual patient, they look for the price and quality curve and um, payers just have incentive now to explore contracting with providers they may not, not have thought to contract with before. They also may have incentive to renegotiate some of their contracts that look pretty sour when you take a look at the market and see that you're not getting the best deal. Yeah, and um, you, you're bringing up this idea of the classic cost quality. You know, this idea of quality, how are you thinking about quality? Because everyone has a different definition, it seems. 
I can't tell you how many times in the last year we've had the quality conversation with investors, with potential customers. Everybody is hunting for defensible, reputable quality data. And I will say there are some companies doing a, a good job. Um, we partnered with a vendor. And so Turquoise is not generating our own quality data right now. We're using a vendor that I don't know how public I can be yet. But anybody listening to this call, I've just heard such a demand for specific quality data with clear, defensible um, tracking mechanisms and having that extensible over an API. So there's, there's a huge need for category-specific quality metrics that has buy-in broadly from industry. And if you're looking to start a company, give me a ring when you do. <laughs> awesome. And so you understandably then the focus would then be more on the pricing side, making sure that people are mindful of as being reasonable in their prices and costs. And you know, to that end, I want to dive a little bit more on how you envision Turquoise's role in facilitating more cost-effective care. And one thing I found to be pretty interesting is that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's this idea of like Turquoise verified prices or verified providers. And you know, as you're kind of gathering this data for price transparency, it seems like you're building these tools for best practices when it comes to pricing and developing contracts across the industry. So what is that role you see Turquoise playing in facilitating uh, more cost-effective care? For providers out there, whether it's hospitals or ASCs or doctors that perform services out of their own office and consults and telemedicine, we're just inviting all providers to become Turquoise verified, to list services on the marketplace, and to use some of this market data to set reasonable prices. Because what we've learned at Turquoise is that the press is listening, self-insured employers are listening, payers are listening. And it's very much right now, if you lean into price transparency as a provider and your quality is reasonable and your outcomes are reasonable, that you can chip away at market share for some of the mega health systems that have really consolidated and relied on the pricing secrecy of the past up until now. And so we're facilitating cost-effective care by inviting providers to participate in this market. We have two things. It's becoming turquoise verified, which simply means, hey, you're open to receiving payer and patient volume, and we have your contact information and the services you offer. And then we're also getting rate assurance from providers, which is not only are you verified, but you're listing services on the marketplace and you're providing rate assurance saying, this is our retail rate for this bundled service. And so the other thing that I've heard is that generally high performing and high quality providers, they can feel more comfortable about attaching a clear price to their services because they're confident in how long they spend in the OR. They're clear about their surgery protocols and the devices they use. And so I've really learned that a lot of the doctors that can put forth a clear price for a bundled surgery, for instance, are very confident in their outcomes as well. And most of those doctors will say, on the outcome side, here's my bundled price and I'll take care of any complications that arise if they arise, because I'm confident they won't. Got it. And do you think this is something that any provider can do these days? That as you know, Do you find that some providers can more easily become turquoise verified? They might you know, have a different type of cost structure that makes it easier for them to just be fully transparent. I wouldn't say any of it's easy because these providers have to be the top 
of their game. They have to be credentialed. They have to have a high performing business and really perform quality care. And then that's where Turquoise comes in and says, hey, are you also willing to attach a price to that? Put yourself on the marketplace. And so we're really the last mile of your hard work, growing a business, perfecting your craft, but now also letting it be discoverable by payers who are feeling a little bit more interested in finding cost-effective care. So becoming Turquoise Verified is easy once you've done all the hard stuff. The other thing I'd add is in terms of opportunity for providers is more than ever before, we're going to see pressure on side of care. And so this is there's a huge continuum of where is the right place for me to go as a patient. And an example might be like a foot surgery, something where there's very low risk of needing to be hospitalized as an inpatient. Do I need to have that performed at a hospital, in a surgery center? Are there some services that can be performed in an office? Another corollary is a cardiology consult. Do I need to be seen at the cardiology outpatient center where the doctor can bill me a facility fee and a professional fee? Or can I go to that doctor's office? Or can I just get the consult done remotely where they look at my home recorded EKGs? And so I'm really excited about cost-effective pressure on the the side of care. And it's really going to make some folks uncomfortable, namely, you know, some hospitals that may have just built this huge foot surgery wing, which is not a thing, but let's just assume they did. And now they're seeing that there are other places folks can go and get the same treatment, more cost-effective manner. Yeah, I I definitely see this care navigation element being huge there where you tell me where the providers are cost-effective and I'm going to go there for these, let's call it more routine things, if you will. I also do like this idea that Though it's not technically a quality metric, it sounds like the turquoise verified badge, in a sense, is a representation of those providers that, to your point, have done the hard work of being really good on so many other things that now this for them is just that final or last mile, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. We're excited as well. This We're launching in, in November with a handful of turquoise verified providers and verified pairs as well, because on the provider side, they want to know that they're working with a payer who will actually reimburse them for care in a timely fashion. So I, I do want to look at the future now and just kind of think a little bit more about where Turquoise is going and maybe beyond some of the things we talked about, areas that you'd hope that Turquoise can bring more price transparency to the industry. So maybe just thinking about the next year or so, where do you see Turquoise going from a product perspective? We have two main focuses over the next year at Turquoise. So right now. We have this contracts platform that we're launching in November. And then we have this existing software around white label patient estimate solutions. And we're really looking to see if we could branch those two together and let that patient estimate lead into the contract negotiation. So we'll see a big rise in out-of-network care. We'll see a big rise in patient engagement with these solutions. And so right now, what we think of is two pretty different products. We want to sync together and let those flow nicely to one another and bring that as our full product suite to our customers. And so that gets to what you and I were talking about, where we don't just display the data, but we actually affect the transaction itself. And so that's what we're looking to prove over the next 12 months. And it won't be an easy task, but we're ready for it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And 
definitely sounds like something that can make the experience a lot more seamless, a lot more integrated. Exactly. Yeah. Especially in this new world of, you know, new regulations rolling out next year where this stuff has to exist. And so we're seeing if we can, you know, put these laws together into one seamless experience. And one other thing I'm wondering about right now is, you know, hot topic, drug pricing. And I know that there's similarly supposed to be legislation that, you know, forces transparency on that side. So any plans on the drug side of the world? At Turquoise, no. I'm, I'm a big fan of GoodRx. I'm a big fan of folks that are tackling prescription drug price transparency. Unfortunately, I've learned that the lobbying in DC is very strong against drug price transparency. And we've seen some of the provisions and transparency and coverage and no surprises get shot down. I think the nail in the coffin most recently this week, just saying that a lot of the drug pricing provisions that have been proposed in the past couple of years are shot down. So I'm sure there are a bunch of entrepreneurs similar to me that were really excited for the drug pricing transparency side of things. And I think it's a lot harder to do now with some of this recent legislation being shot down. And so at Turquoise, we're not doing much on the prescription drug side. We're doing more on the hospital injectable drug side. But I'd say that's still a frustrating thorn in some folks' side. Yeah, definitely. Especially with you know some of that volume going through especially pharmacies. It just becomes yeah. <laughs> really yeah. confusing. So in the last few minutes, you know, what are some of the areas that you'd recommend MBAs think about just broadly in the industry? And then second there is any advice you have for them as they're looking into potentially building out companies in these areas? For MBAs interested in health tech, I would say that there are a lot of supporting roles to play in the future of health tech that may not be the sexiest things, but infrastructure roles. Like I mentioned, the concept around like service-specific quality metrics, APIs, and whatnot. So I would recommend to look for those gritty, overlooked sides of healthcare that maybe it's not, you know, machine learning for radiology or the coolest thing to talk about, but the, there's a lot of addressable market there. So that, that's the first thing I'd recommend. The other is just, even if you are not traditionally from a healthcare background, there are a lot of jobs and the industry is growing and there's a lot of VC money going into it. And so if ever there was a time to get into starting a healthcare business or joining an early stage startup, this feels like the time to, or join the healthcare bandwagon. Yeah, the more people in health tech, the better. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, just another question is now focusing more on turquoise. Are you hiring? And if so, you know, what kind of roles are you looking to build out over the next few months, next year? There are roles that may not interest this audience. We're hiring for a product designer right now. We're hiring for a full stack engineer. I think everybody's always hiring for a full stack engineer. For MBAs that are looking to graduate um, in spring, we're hiring for a few roles, and I would just say inquire. And generally, it's easier for us to forecast out, hey, how could we use an MBA in May of 2022? Then what could we do with an MBA right now as you and I are talking? Because the team has grown so fast, and we feel pretty equipped for this the next four months on the, the business side of the house. We're still hiring for product and engineering. So if you are an MBA, you're interested in having an effect on the price of healthcare, Give us a ring and let's chat about summer of 2022. Sounds great. I'm, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of rings, um, <laughs> especially from this audience. Well, Chris, thank you again so much for taking the time today. I uh, really appreciate this conversation. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me. 